Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. What a beautiful song. I'm, I'm so grateful for our worship team. Those of you at home and here, can we show them a bit of gratitude? Um, I'm reminded of, by, just by that last bit of the priestly function of worship musicians. They sort of lift us in a place we cannot lift ourselves. They, they mediate us uh, reaching the throne of God, quite frankly, in a way we could not do for ourselves, and yet we're there with them, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Hey, I want to introduce to you, I'm Mike Moses, lead pastor at Lake Forest Church Huntersville. I want to introduce my friend Nicole Eunice, Reverend Nicole Eunice. She is going to be preaching today. Uh, Nicole, you are the pinnacle of our summer of God stories. Uh, well, not wow. you. Not you, actually. <laughs> uh, the book of Esther. She's going to be teaching us uh, of the God story of Esther and how it relates to our lives. Nicole's a longtime friend of Lake Forest. She is an ordained pastor in our denomination. Our denomination, uh, as we're, uh, you heard, we're electing new elders this year to uh, guide our church. We're an elder-led church. We're part of a denomination because we believe the Bible teaches submission to spiritual authority over you, that no pastor, no church should be an authority unto themselves. Our denomination is the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. We're evangelical with a small e and Presbyterian with a little p. Uh, <laughs> mostly we're Christians who believe in and follow Jesus in the great tradition of historic Orthodox Christianity. But Nicole has been an ordained pastor for some years. She's been in a friend of our uh, a friend church in Richmond, Hope Church. She's a professional counselor, a coach. She's recently moved into a full-time speaking and writing uh, ministry. Her website, NicoleEunice.com, I hope we have that on screen for you all, for certainly we have it on Facebook and live stream. Uh, Nicole's passion is facilitating environments. I looked this up. I looked you up. He's reading my website. We guys. are friends. But I, He's I, using a, you're using I a game show voice, too. Nicole's passion is facilitating environments of safety and vulnerability so that individuals and communities can courageously identify <laughs> obstacles, keeping them from maximum potential. That's a really long sentence. Yeah, but it's super cool. <laughs> and, and that's what you do, Nicole. You do it so well. You've spoken on our women's retreat, our women's groups. Uh, Suzanne Powell, my longtime assistant, who has recently moved away, will forever be grateful for one of your Bible studies that she was in a group that they went through. Uh, she's a very ac uh, accomplished author. I couldn't get them both on here at once. Uh, but her books uh, include The Struggle is Real, Getting Better at Life, Stronger in Faith, and Free from the Stuff Keeping You Stuck. That's a long subtitle, too. Uh, brave like Enough, it. Getting Over Our Fears, <laughs> Flaws, and Failures to Live Bold and Free. Um, Nicole is a dear friend of us, uh, and we're happy to have you Thank preach you. God's Word with us today, Nicole. Um, I appreciate our friendship, but more importantly, thank you for agreeing to bless our church today. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for that very, it's, it was almost like an infomercial. I wasn't really prepared for that, um, but I am really happy to be here with you guys and you guys who are online. Um, it's just a real honor to get to be with you. So 2020, huh? A moment of silence for our crushed hopes and dreams. Uh, I'm from Richmond, like Mike said, and I want you to know 
there's no school there, there's no work there, no one knows how to drive a car anymore, so don't go north, it's all the same. Don't go east or west, it's all the same everywhere you go. Um, I hope, though, in the midst of this, you've had this stirring, this upset. Um, I think that God is inviting us to a divine reset, and I know that things that I've taken for granted um, seem so much more important to me now than ever before. We had a chance to wrangle a vacation out of this season, and we were just at the beach this last week with my husband and my husband's sister, my sister-in-law and her family. And we were just reminiscing together. We were all celebrating our wedding anniversaries in September. My husband and I will be married 23 years. My sister-in-law, Tracy, and her husband, Paul, will be married 21 years. And we were sharing the stories of how we met, like with our, like when we first met our spouse. And Tracy and Paul were telling me their story. And there was just so many little circumstances that were part of them actually meeting. And as we began to unravel that story and reminisce, we realized that the very reason that Dave and I even met was also related to Tracy's choices, the colleges she went to, et cetera. And we just kind of sat back and we're like, look at how God is in stories. And so many things that may seem circumstantial or coincidental can actually be seen as providential, really, and sovereign by God. And that's really the story that we're gonna be looking at today. This is a love story but it's not a love story that you would expect. This is a story about a king and a queen, but this is actually a story about God and his love for his people. It's a story about a long ago empire, but it's also a story about the lives that we're living today, here and now. And so we're gonna be looking at the story of Esther, an unexpected setting with an unlikely hero with unconventional influence. And I wanna invite you, as we look at this story, I'm gonna kinda of try to set it up for us. You're gonna get a Nicole paraphrase today because I'm taking on a whole book of the Bible. I'm, I don't wanna bury the lead. My hope is that you actually want to read the story of Esther with your family. There's so many details in there that I'm not gonna be able to cover today. But as you listen and as we sort of hone in on one particular moment in this story, I want you to look for what is it that God is doing when he invites us to partner with him in his work in the world, as he did at that time and as he does today. So I'm gonna give you a little background on Esther. I'm gonna tell you, just stick with me. I'm gonna tell you like four characters and a setting. And I want you to try to picture it in your mind as best as you can. So here's the setting of Esther. This is a book in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's set in a capital in the Persian Empire. And what you wanna know about this story is that God's people are the Jews, God's chosen people, the people that he's using to reflect his glory in the world are the Jewish people. And this is a time where the Jews are scattered all through this empire. They've been oppressed. They've been taken over. They don't have a place. They don't have a nation. They're spread throughout this empire, important to the story. So look for ways that God is partnering in human action. Here's the setting, chapter one. The story opens up, and I want you to imagine if like all of Mardi Gras got put in the White House, and then there was a big party for a long time. So this King Xerxes wants to display his power. It says for 180 days, he displayed his power, and then for seven days, he invited the whole kingdom to a Mardi Gras-ish banquet. I mean, I don't know what was actually happening. The Bible says they were in high spirits, 
the whole time. So that's what's happening in this story. And we open up the story, and this is what, this is going to be key to the story because we live in a modern day. We need to take our minds back to an ancient time. And what's happening here is that the king is throwing this banquet for these men. His queen is throwing a banquet for the women. And the king gets it in his mind that it's time for the queen to come and display her splendor. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. You can fill in the blanks yourself. But he calls for the queen, and she refuses to come. And when she refuses to come, again, I'm really going fast here. When she refuses to come, she is deposed from the kingdom. She's removed as queen, and she is never to enter the king's sight again. And I tell you that just in case you thought that this was like a husband-wife kind of situation. And it's really important that we understand that although she was queen, it took one word for her to be removed from her position. And that's where we start the story. Now, we take our Mardi Gras White House, like, deranged banquet, and now I just want you to enter into, like, a twisted Cinderella story because the next thing that's going to happen, these are the king's advisors around him who say, we'll just find you a new queen. We'll just go throughout the kingdom looking for beautiful young women. We'll bring them to the kingdom. It's all in there. You can read the story yourself. We're going to bring them to the kingdom. We're going to give them beauty treatments, and we're going to parade them before you so you can pick your queen. And this is where we meet our hero, Esther. Esther is a Jewish girl. She's an orphan. She's been raised by her cousin Mordecai, who takes the role of her parent in the story. And she's, she's actually brought to the kingdom because she's beautiful. It says three or four times in the first couple of chapters that Esther had favor upon her. She had favor with the people who were attending to her. She had favor with people in power. She had favor with other people in the harem. So we kind of get just a little sense that Esther is a woman who is not only beautiful on the outside, but also on the inside. That there's a character there that's developed. And we don't know a lot more than that. But we know that to be the case. And so when she's brought to the king, he chooses her as queen. But remember, this is not a husband and wife like we know a husband and wife. Because that's where the story started was it is, it is not, this, you do not share power with a king when you're the queen the way you are. So Esther becomes queen. That's kind of where we're going to start the story. So the first thing we want to recognize is that decisions have powerful impact on those around you, whether you want them to or not. There is no such thing as an irrelevant person. People impact people. The reason the king was making the decisions that he was is because his advisors were leading him that way. The reason that Esther had favor with the king is because her advisors were leading her that way. And I just, I sometimes really truly believe that we think our lives are irrelevant. All through scripture, people are always impacting people. God's purposes are always coming through people. When we believe that our lives don't matter, we actually are abdicating our role in the kingdom of God, who has invited us to see, no, actually, our decisions have great weight. They have a ripple effect going on for good and for bad. And so the story sort of develops. We have the king, King Xerxes. We have the queen now, Queen Esther. Esther's advisor is Mordecai. He's not in the kingdom, but he's kind of around a lot. He's sort of around the king's gate. He's an advisor who is keeping his eye on Esther, even though she's now in the king's court. And then the king has an advisor named Haman. Now, Haman has just been honored by the king, and the way that Haman is to be honored is he's to be knelt down before him as he walks by. And Mordecai, as a faithful Jew, refuses to kneel before him. And we pick up the story here. I'm going to read you one little section. It's not on the screen. Just listen to this from Esther 3. 
Just to give you a sense of who Haman was, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Now, here's what I want you to know. This was not just one king. This is an empire. This would have effectively annihilated all of God's chosen people. This edict that Haman set out to make that the Jews would be destroyed would have wiped out the entire people group. This was a very, very serious situation. Mordecai gets a hold of that law. He begins to mourn. Esther gets wind of the fact that something's going on. She sends out one of her attendants to ask him what's wrong. And he says to the attendant, send this message back to Esther. She needs to confront the king. She needs to plead for mercy. Now remember, the king does not know that Esther is even a Jew. Mordecai has told her not to tell anyone about her nationality about who she really is. And now Mordecai's changed the story, and he's like, you've got to plead before the king. And this is where we pick up the story in Esther 4. This will be on your screen. This is what Esther sent back to Mordecai. This is what she sent back. She says, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law that they be put to death, unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to the king. Now let's pause here for a moment. Mordecai has sent Esther a holy invitation. And Esther has responded like most do in scripture when sent a holy invitation, which is not me. Um, not me, you have the wrong guy. You've got the wrong girl. Mordecai, you must not understand how it works in the king's court. It doesn't matter that I'm the queen. If I enter into his inner court, the law is death. She's like, not me. And I, I just wonder, church, how many of us have experienced the holy invitation of God stepping into our lives and we have this response that's like, no, no, I'm, no, I'm not. I'm not the one to lead. I'm not the one to have that conversation. I'm not the one to lean in. Welcome, welcome to the discomfort of God's holy invitation in our life. And so the story goes on. Esther's words are reported to Mordecai in verse 13. He sends back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. This last week, like I said, I was at the beach and my practice in sermons is that I go for a run and I like practice my sermon while I'm running. So I'm at the beach and I'm on this bike path and I'm running and I'm like deep in the sermon. I'm like, yes, feeling it, you know. And this guy approaches me on a bike, like he turns his bike so that his bike is rolling like right at me on the bike path. And he pops out his headphones, he's like, man, man. So I'm like, hello. So I stop preaching my sermon in my head for just a moment. And he says to me, listen, there is an alligator ahead on the bike path. Do not go this way. 
it, don't go this way. And I'm like thinking, but this is the only way I can get out of my neighborhood. Like I have to go this way. And in my mind, what I'm picturing, when I'm picturing the alligator is like the thing that's like in a pet store. It's like a lizard, maybe in a big cage, but it's a, it's a big lizard in a big cage. And I'm like, eh, that's, we'll see. So he goes on by and I'm like, I'll just run slowly at the bike path. And I come around a corner and y'all, I can't, I have been to this beach many, many years. I have been on these bike paths many years and it took my breath away. I was like, oh, it was an eight foot alligator. It wasn't like laying across the path. It was lurking. It had its body in the brush and only its big, huge mouth laying on the path, literally lurking on the path. I was like, back it up. <laughs> I went out, took a big bypass, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is, and then all of a sudden, I'm the alligator evangelist. Like, I'm on for the next mile on the path. I'm like, excuse me, sir, sir, with the, with the babies on the bikes, please stop. I need you to understand, it is very, very dangerous ahead. Very dangerous. And I thought about that just as I was getting ready for the sermon, and I thought about Mordecai coming to Esther with this law, and she's like, not, well, I mean, I'm not the person. And he, he ramps it up and he's like, no, I don't think you understand. I don't think you understand what I'm saying. This is a big deal. And what Mordecai is saying is when God's chosen people suffer, we all suffer. When God's chosen people are marginalized, we are all marginalized. When God's chosen people are oppressed, we are all oppressed. We are one. And he says, Esther, do not think that because you are in the king's court, you are not part of God's chosen people. Am I talking to anyone today? Do not think because you are comfortable that you will escape what is happening with God's chosen people. And church, I believe in this season where it feels so easy to shrink back, God is calling us to step in, to step forward in the place where we have been called. And so Mordecai sends back that message, and Esther says this in verse 15. Esther sent this reply. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. What separates the courageous from the comfortable? I think there's a few things we can learn in this moment as we pause here in the story from Esther. The first is this, to be all in with our faith often involves impossible, impossible situations without earthly solutions all the time. God is calling us into situations where we say, not me. I don't think this is my place. I don't think this is my moment. And actually, this is a sign that we are approaching the kingdom of God. All the time, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he's using this phrase, you of little faith. There's four different circumstances that the disciples in the New Testament saw impossible situations, and Jesus called them to more faith. There was a time where they didn't have enough bread for the crowd. There was a time when the storms were up high. There was a time that they were sinking in the sea. There was a time that they were drowning in their worries. And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, in the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he opened by saying this, blessed are the poor 
in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know what day in quarantine you realized you were poor in spirit. The younger the children, the earlier the time. (laughs) I don't know if you've come to the end of yourself in this season, but I love the message paraphrase of this very same verse. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. In God's economy, the moment when we run out of our own solutions is the moment that we are approaching the kingdom of heaven. The moment where the doors close is the moment that we can actually open our eyes to God's way. Now, this is one of my very favorite parts of the book of Esther. This is the only book in the Bible where God's name is not mentioned ever in the whole book. There are so many places in scripture where people are visited in dreams by angels, where people have an encounter, a holy encounter with an angel, where people maybe get a prophet sent to them to tell them a story. But the story of Esther is a story of a woman where we do not know how God spoke to her. We just know that she did what she knew to do. She fasted and she asked other people to fast with her. That's a different sermon. She cleared her mind. She cleared her body. And then she used what God had given her and did what she knew to do. And never once did God write across the sky a plan for her. Never once do we know how God visited her. We don't even know if she was led to a passage of scripture that encouraged her. We know that she was raised in the faith by Mordecai. That's about it. And she's got to make a choice to step in, even though God seems silent. She examined the situation, counted the cost, and then crafted a plan. Esther 5, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes. I love that little detail. It's like she put on her position. She put on her title. She put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her. And he held out to her the gold scepter in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. What happens next in the story is an amazing great reversal of every danger that was about to come to the Jewish people becomes a celebration and a victory. And I'll tell you a few more of those details in a moment, but read them this week. They're fantastic. In this moment, when the king extends his scepter, he extends his pardon and his forgiveness, and he gives the opportunity to be in relationship with him and in his power, Esther steps in with courage and is able to to plead on behalf of her people. The whole story changes in this moment. And the real story of Esther is that before Esther was all in with her devotion for God, God was all in for her. Here's three ways that I think God shows himself to be all in for us in moments that require courage. The first one is this. All in faith means believing that God has placed you where he needs you. This is a very, very simple truth, but a profoundly transformative truth in our lives is to actually believe that God has placed you exactly where he needs you. When Mordecai said to Esther, but who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Listen to this verse from the book of Acts 17. From one man, 
He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he, being God, he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Do you know that God has chosen the place that he has put you? That the influence that you have, your home, your family, your extended family, your workplace, your neighbors, God has actually appointed you to a place. He has placed you exactly where he needs you. No matter what situation you find yourself in, you have for such a time as this moments to face. You have times where you and only you are the one who can bring God's grace, his love, his expression of truth into your life. Can you trust that God knows exactly where he's placed you and that you can flourish in that place? Secondly, all in faith means knowing that God is always in power and always on time. The love story of Esther is in the details. Here's a few details of what God was orchestrating that brought this to be. Esther is brought to the palace and chosen to be queen. Esther rises to power and she's shown favor by the king. Earlier in the story, Mordecai, her uncle, her cousin, had foiled a plot to assassinate the king just a little detail in the story. Earlier in the story, Mordecai had foiled a plot to assassinate the king. It was written down in the history books. When Esther went to the king and he extended his scepter and said, what is it that you want, Esther? Up to half the kingdom, I'll give it to you. She did not ask and she did not plead for her people. She invited him to dinner. She invited him to a party. And on that night at the banquet, he asked her again, Esther, what is it that you want? Anything? Up to half the kingdom, I'll give it to you. And I don't know if she was scared. I don't know if it was her intuition. I don't know if she had a plan. But she didn't ask then either. She invited him to another party the next night. And the very night before the party, it says that the king could not sleep. And so he called for the history books to be brought to him. I think that's a, probably a very good way to go back to sleep. He asked for an attendant to read the his, his history, the history of his kingdom to him. And the, the attendant opened to the story about Mordecai. And so the king says, what, what should we do to honor a person like this? And so whatever the reason for Esther's hesitation, whatever it is that kept her from asking and, and revealing what she needed to know, it was that very night that God orchestrated and operating in the details changed the king's understanding of God's people. And so that day when she finally does ask, she says, I'm, I'm pleading for my people. I wouldn't come to you if you just wanted to enslave them. I'm, I'm coming to you because a man has wanted to, to eradicate my whole people, my family. And the king's like, well, who is this man? And she's like, it's this guy that we invited to, you know, Haman was there. It's a great story. I mean, it's a real, like if you like intrigue, suspense, revenge, reality, it's great. So all of that happens because God is in the details. God is always in power. What would it look like to trust that God is sovereignly working in your life? That what you may have seen as circumstance may actually be providence. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I feel confident. I feel a sense of, wait a second, is God asking me to partner with him? Yes. God is giving us a choice to partner with him. 
in the work that he is doing in the world. God is always in power and God is always on time. Ecclesiastes 3 says God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the human heart. I love this quote from Martin Luther King Jr., particularly in this time in our culture. We shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. You see, lots of things were happening in that kingdom. Many bad things had happened to God's chosen people up to this point. But in this moment, in Esther's courage, the ripple effect, because people impact people, changed the course of history for the Jewish tradition. In fact, this is still a holiday that is celebrated in the Jewish faith called Purim. Finally, all in faith means believing God is always ready to extend grace. Three times in the story of Esther, the king extends his scepter toward Esther. And you know that we serve a good king. We serve a holy king who invites us into his throne room. Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. All in faith means believing that God is always ready to extend his grace to you, that he is always waiting for you to come to him, that as he extends his grace to you, he extends his mercy, he extends his power, he extends his supply, he extends his compassion, he extends his forgiveness, he extends his mercy. The choice that we have to make is to enter into his presence where he is always ready to extend that to us. But the crazy thing about our God who loves us is that he gives us the choice. Do you remember what Mordecai said when he warned Esther about the danger? He said, listen, if you don't make this choice right now, relief and deliverance will come from another place. He said, if you don't, if you don't do this, relief and deliverance will come to the Jews. See, that's faith. But who knows? that you have been put in this position for such a time as this. You see, God gives us a choice to be a part of his work in the world. It's a very comforting and challenging truth. The comforting truth is that God is sovereign and he will accomplish his purposes. The challenging truth is that he wants to use you and he wants to use me. And he's inviting us in to uncomfortable positions, holy invitations, to bring about his purposes in the world. Because when God's chosen people are hurting, we are all hurting. And we have the invitation and the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing in the world. We have that choice to make. What will be your response to for such a time as this moments in your life? And I know this story is far away and ancient. It's got fairy tale pieces in it. But in your life, in our lives that feel quite small right now, in your life, what would it look like to believe that God has placed you where he needs you? To believe that God is always on time and always in power. I'm going to invite the worship team up as we get ready to close our time. And I want to give you just a simple invitation for this week. First of all, to read the book. <laughs> Secondly, I want to just lead us in a prayer, just a simple prayer that as I've prayed this week, I, I've just sensed a refreshment from the Lord, a sense of, of courageous confidence 
to step into this season of uncertainties, to step into this divine reset that we're in. And I just want to lead us through this and invite you to kind of take this into your heart. And I'd ask you to consider praying this as you put your feet on the ground in the morning. And this goes, just goes like this, God, you are always on time. You are always in power. And I trust you. God, you are always on time. You are always in power. And I trust you. If you're in the room or if you're in your living room and you want to stand, I just want to invite you to stand for a moment. Thank you. And we're just going to pray. And if you're ready to be in that posture where you say, yes, God, I'm all in, then let's just affirm the promises of who God is. God, we thank you that you are always on time. Lord, you may not feel on time to us, but you are always on time. We thank you, God, that you are always in power in the ways that you are working and orchestrating the details of our lives. Would you give us eyes to see the moments of courage and confidence that you are inviting us into? And Father, we thank you that we can trust you. We can trust you because of your son. We can trust you because you've said that you have broken the dividing wall between us, that any time we come to approach you, you are extending your forgiveness. You are extending your grace and your compassion and your love, no matter how far we've gone, no matter how long it's been. Father God, we thank you that you are always ready to extend that grace to us. And that's why we can trust you. God, you are always in power. You are always on time. And we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.